Index investing or passive investing has grown more popular with investors. Even Warren Buffett has the benefits of owning an entire index like the S&P 500 over the long term. An example of an index tracking ETF is BMO's S&P 500 Index ETF. It's the largest ETF in Canada that tracks this well-recognized and popular index. It provides exposure to the returns of the market cap weighted S&P 500 Index at a low cost the management fee of just 0.08%. This broad market ETF makes for an efficient building block in a portfolio, saving you time and effort while mitigating single stock risk. If you're looking for exposure to the largest and most liquid public companies in the United States, this ETF delivers an easy-to-use solution and instant diversification. Commissions and management fees and expenses all may be associated with investments in exchange-traded funds. Please read the ETF facts or prospectus of the BMO ETFs before investing. Before we get started, I just want to remind everyone that this information discussed today is not intended to be or construed as investment advice. Please consult a professional advisor before putting a loony in any of these financial markets. The dirty secret is that no one's ever going to get paid back. People have the shortest memories when it comes to investment. We just got to get Keith into Bitcoin. Hey, there's a bubble. Welcome back to Looney Hour, episode 123. As always, join me the three amigos. Got uh, Eat Dicker, Ice Cap Asset Management, another another new Patagonia vest, and Rich Diaz. New camera today, looking good, buddy. I've got a new camera. I've been we after the the hundreds of comments in the in the YouTube comment section. Thank you, by the way. We read a lot of them. Um, yeah, so I got it. I finally buckled in. Everybody wants to see my my face, uh, which I thought was for, was made, really made for radio. But there you go. I got a new camera, and we're looking good. We're we're ready to go. Man, back from the hours really uh, up in the uh, the, at the budget here. That's right. <laughs> Is that a new arm wall behind you? That looks brand new. <laughs> <laughs> it's older than you, Keith. <laughs> yeah, I don't start chirping, Mama Diaz's. Uh... That's right furniture man you're gonna get, gonna get pissed this is from oh, the man. roosevelt administration from the roosevelt administration i think everyone missed it before we actually uh click record like we're just chatting about something and rich sort of led the f-bombs were flying and mama diaz comes running onto the screen and grabs a hole of his ear richard you are you gotta stop swearing on tv <laughs> <laughs> and rich like mom we're not on tv <laughs> Uh, same thing yeah that was embarrassing same thing anyways yeah. my life is a well of sorrows welcome, let's carry on <laughs> welcome back from switzerland does she know all the sins you committed there i committed many sins um listen switzerland is my favorite country somebody asked us why number one low taxes number two a strong welfare state number three it's clean and number four public the trains are amazing now we're going to talk about big train guy. Hold your thought. I am there. a big train guy. We're going to talk about Stephen Gilbo, who hates cars. <laughs> but well. one thing he and I may have in common, probably the single only thing, is that I'm a big train guy, and we should build more trains in Canada. So there you go, and tax people less. How about that? Yeah, we'll get to that crazy guy in a little bit here. Okay. Anyway, there you go. I'm ready to. We're, we're, we're rocking and rolling here. Too. Wait, what was the movie? I saw a movie recently and it, it all, I think Brad Pitt was on it and a few other characters and around the train and they're all trying to kill each other basically. And one of the bad guys was actually a good guy, but he gave everyone, he was trying to figure out what, what personality you were, who you are. And he related it to, he related it to um, Thomas the Tank Engine trains. Have you yeah. guys seen that movie? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a great movie. The diesel. 
he's like, you're a diesel. You know, he didn't like the diesels or something like that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, people are listening. You know, three of you guys might get it. But uh, <laughs> what else is going on, Steve? Well, we've got a busy week. So we had yeah, US CPI came out. Everyone was really, really watching that. We've got some updates on what's happening across uh, the recession watch across Europe, US retail sales, the the bond market volatility, which is giving you know lots of heartache to Canadian home shoppers and, and mortgage renewals. And uh, the arrive scam stuff that's going on. <laughs> Stephen Gilbo's keeps pounding his chest about climate stuff. So we'll we'll get into all of that. But uh, you know, quickly on the on the housing front, still the same old. Really, it's just uh, kind of ebbing and flowing with the the mortgage uh, data, right? Which is everyone's just watching what three-year fixed rates are doing. And then those are kind of bouncing around with all this economic data. So obviously we'll get into that this week. But uh, I thought there was an interesting note here uh, from a guy named Jeremiah Shams on Twitter. Uh, so he's uh, he works in the commercial real estate space, does a lot of development land in Toronto. They've got a massive team. Uh, but he noticed here that uh, he sweet tweet says, directly from the CEO of a residential developer with $5 billion of active projects, says construction budgets are coming in 11% less today than six months prior, and he believes this will continue. So if you are a developer in the GTA, and let's call it Vancouver as well, uh, it looks like we're starting to get some outright price deflation in the construction space after costs you know, have soared to incredible heights over the last couple of years. Crazy. Is that, is that coming too? down because of, like, is the price of construction declining? Or is this simply credit I think availability just, is declining? Like what, what's what's driving no, I think it's deal? I think it's a lot of we're seeing materials, some of the materials coming down. Um, you know, we saw some of those like crazy price shocks, right? Like the ability to get concrete. I mean, at one point you couldn't get windows because there was no sand to make the glass. And and you know, we obviously know like what happened with lumber costs. And so it feels like a lot of that is is obviously stabilizing, nature is healing. But at the same time, right? I mean, there's a lot less housing starts that are are happening now, and I think that you're probably starting to see some of these project uh, management companies, these general contractors, are now saying, "Hey, you know what? The pipeline doesn't look that full. Maybe we should, uh, you know, trim costs, trim our uh, our revenues a little bit in order to secure some future work." So I think it's probably a combination of all that. I mean, I can't sit here and tell you that you know the electricians or the plumbers are necessarily taking a lower wage, but um, I think that's just what happens when the economy slows down and, and people are looking for more work. You know, one, one of the lag effects with this, of course, you know, I was driving through the city the other day. Yes, Rich, I left my neighborhood. <laughs> had, had to leave. People that know me, they make the Did you drive job. your car? Yeah, I was driving the car. as well. you feel I bad? The... You feel bad? Do you feel bad about driving your car? <laughs> Should have walked. Uh, <laughs> no, I don't. I don't feel like that. Um, but I drove by one of the uh, one of the universities here in in the city. Not one of the two big ones, but another one. And everyone's out on strike. You know, everyone did this. So if people are still, we always want higher wages, of course. But uh, I haven't seen any research on this or any data or anything. But the the cycle of 
large unions and contracts that have expired and they're now in the negotiation phase. Like you, you get a lag effect for that. So even if we get a period where inflation stabilizes, which which means prices are still going up, everyone, but not as fast as before, you know, we're still going to have that lag effect of higher wages continuing to drive prices higher. You know, anyway, that's something that struck me. But you don't see people anymore out on the sidewalk carrying the signs and everything. And I thought it was it was interesting. Maybe it's because I never leave my neighborhood. Maybe that's that's what it is. Well, you're not going to be able to anymore. You're 15 minute cities. Tell us about that, Steve. What what's yeah, happening with everybody, the most dangerous man in Canada? Everyone that's listening, pull out your tinfoil hat or wrap it on your head. Keith Keith never leaves. Uh, we have the uh, the most dangerous man in Canada, Stephen Gilbo, the environment minister in Canada, who basically runs our energy policy, more or less, um, says their government has made the decision to stop investing in new road infrastructure. Uh, they've made the decision to stop investing in new road infrastructure. And he says, of course, we will continue to be there for cities, provinces and territories, but maintaining the existing network, but there will be no more envelopes from the federal government to enlarge the road network. So, you know, you'll have your 15 minutes. Well, <laughs> so we have population growth is still flying through the roof, right? Million people a year, baby. Yeah. So again, it's one of these, you know, you got to wrap your mind around it. We, we need to invest in infrastructure, which includes roads and highways, healthcare, education, you know, all, all that stuff. So what, what with that announcement, Steve, like, did he assign any dollar figures to it in terms of budget wise and things like that? Like what, how do they, how will he execute this? I don't know. I think they're, all the money's going to arrive scam. It's cute that you think that they can execute anything. I think that that's a very that's a nice optimism for a for a Thursday morning. Uh, Everyone, two questions. this is Valentine's week, <laughs> and right. Rich that's said right. I'm cute. Oh, that's Rich, right. you are cute. That's nice. Um, did you have a date last night? No, I did go to the hockey game on Tuesday though. I took. Man, my you're going to a lot of games. Yeah, I know. There's lots. Season of, ticket well, holder or what? No, no. I've just uh, I got got a hookup. But I, I'm, I'm I'm interested in the two. Th I have two questions. One, he says there will be no envelopes from the federal government. Is he admitting that they hand over envelopes to other politicians? Did no? I feel like no one pressed him on that, um, which I thought was interesting. That's a quote, by the way. There will be no envelopes from from the federal government to a large road network. This is obviously crazy. Um, Steve, I've been critical of you in the past for saying that he's the most dangerous man in Canada. I apologize unreservedly. He is demonstrating that um, he clearly is quite unhinged. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know what to say. I mean, if you've ever driven around Quebec, you def we definitely need to invest in roads. <laughs> and... here's, a, uh, here's a quick stat for you. So in December of 2023, Canadians spent $7.5 billion buying 128,000 new vehicles, smashing all December sales records and bringing unit sales back in line with all-time highs. So uh, a lot of new cars on the road, but... Uh, back to the old horse and buggy i mean but everywhere in canada like when you're driving around in, in the summer especially you know there's there's always work going being completed on, on like improvements on a highway or they're twinning out highways because even down here in the maritimes we have lots of highways are still just two lanes you know that's yeah. it you know the dotted line in, in the middle you know which which is quite dangerous and 
and you always see the big sign up, you know, this infrastructure project is funded by you know the federal government for this much money you know stuff like that so, so steve is he implying all that is dried up it's gone from this next budget again i don't understand well yeah i mean know, i'm assuming all not... of cash what, what's flowing around here or not flowing i mean i'm assuming obviously they're just you know typically helping invest in in large road infrastructure projects and they're saying well you know if it has to do with expanding road networks we just we're not going to be involved. So it's going to be up to, you know, uh, provincial and municipal governments to to fund roads moving forward. Yeah, so one thing we haven't said, we'll let Rich jump on this one. Why is he doing this? Rich? He wants you to ease the bugs. Well, I, I, listen, I, I cannot speculate on what a crazy person thinks is the right course um, of action for Canadians. Um, I will just repeat what he said, um, quoted by the Montreal Gazette. We can very well achieve our economic and social and human development goals without more enlargement of the road network. This person is disassociated from reality. You cannot unscramble the egg. Canada will have more roads tomorrow than it does today. Again, I think just again, to be more positive and to like out maybe like throw out some policy advice to these people. I mean, again, I, I submit we should just build shitload more trains in this country. There's this BS about how it's a huge, there's all this population and it's very sparsely distributed around Canada. That's baloney. We've all seen the chart online where like 95% of our population lives below this like arbitrary red line that crosses from like no Halifax all the way to, to Vancouver and everyone lives below. And to like spend a lot of money building trains and stuff in that area, I think is a sensible idea. This idea that we're not going to enlarge the road network is nuts. I think another thing that I he just we've been on this before over and over again. This idea that the federal government wants to encourage active transit, transit, which is just like getting people to walk and cycle. I feel like all these policymakers live in Bermuda or something, and they never deal with the winter. <laughs> uh, oh. In it's like. <laughs> Yeah, you're gonna. I mean, yeah, I mean, th that's the issue, though. Like, right? Like, if like I think with Canada is is it's it's a large land mass and it's so it's so spread out, right? Like, okay, sure, you got like really dense Toronto, Vancouver's kind of dense, but like the thing about like Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, like you know, let's hear, it's let's hear it minus... for Saskatchewan. We always yeah, mention exactly. them every uh, every week. Minus forty in the winter. Jeez. You know what are you gonna do? Ride your electric scooter. Oh, so uh, I just said Saskatchewan in my phone. The <laughs> the voice activation. What is it called? Siri. Siri comes up. Oh, I found Saskatchewan on, on your. <laughs> Anyways, uh, maybe we should move you know, on. But, but you know, yeah. we uh, but we set to set this up, and, and you know, you guys just wouldn't say it out loud. But the what I'm hearing is the whole goal of him um, making this proclamation is to reduce, uh, make it more difficult for people to drive their cars, which is, you know, emitting carbon emissions, correct? I mean, that's the whole goal with this. It's not because they, and I think Steve's on, we lost Steve's audio here for a second. Yeah. But don't you think they're rich? I mean, that, that's what the entire goal is. That's what the platform is coming out of that part of our government. Absolutely. I mean, let's just read what he says. The minister said federal money has been spent on asphalt. <laughs> 
<laughs> as if that's like a drugs or something. Asphalt concrete for roads in the past is better invested into projects that will help fight climate change and adapt to its impacts. He he wants us to go backwards. And, and I submit well, to you, that's a terrible direction to go in. <laughs> I mean, I think it's pretty clear. They just, they just don't want you driving, right? I mean, like think about it as like, the, they also brought in the EV mandates. I mean, we all know EVs are not cheap. So if you can't afford one, and when you got to buy a new car in five years, I mean, actually, Steve, the price of EVs are falling dramatically. They're they're coming off. But I've been keeping score here. You know, I have my notebook, and you know, I have it like this. And so far, what I've, I have it this banning column. So right now, then um, they're trying to. I call it ban. I'm being dramatic about it. But you know, they want to ban roads, highways. Nat gas, oil, and fireplaces. Apparently, that yeah. was the big one in Quebec City this That's week right. as well. Yep. Yeah, Rich, I heard and that you had to like register your fireplace. It's a clever then... ploy. It's a it's a clever ploy, like right out of like 1982 Hungary. You know, it's, it's like register uh, for some people who don't know. 1982 Hungary was uh, dominated by the Stasi and the Soviet Union. So you have to like register your fireplace on one day, and then the next day they ban them. And guess what? They know where all of them are because they just registered. Pretty smart. Yeah, didn't think government was that that, smart. Did that really happen? Yes. Yes, that actually happened. I, I'm laughing because they're also you, you cry. I mean, it's just the, it's absurd. Steven, we well, can share Steven, all these links. <laughs> Stephen Gilbo here. He's having a big week. Um, before we move on from this, uh, this nut job, but um, he also rebranded. They're rebranding the carbon tax rebate, um, or whatever you want to call it. So it was previously called the Climate Action Incentive Payment, and it's now going to be rebranded to the. Canada carbon rebate. So if anyone's been receiving the climate action incentive payment, they'll now be receiving the Canada carbon rebate um, in an effort to drum up more support and clarity for their tax that makes everybody richer. Um, but yeah, anyways, moving on, uh, we'll get to, let's get to the big, back to the bigger picture, which was this week, US CPI. Rich, you've been following that pretty closely. You've been pretty spot on and saying that it's going to be stickier than anybody really expects. And here we are. I don't know if you want to walk us through the numbers and what you what kind of caught your eye, but US CPI obviously surprise economic uh, predictions to the upside and and uh, markets reacted. Yeah, sure. All right, so let's just do a quick uh, rundown. So CPI, Consumer Price Index, um, it increased... Uh, one month percent change was 0 0.3. Um, I can't remember if that beat expectations or not for that one. But anyway, so but the, the real the upshot really is that it's um, all items, less food and energy. I think it's 3.9. Now that that beat expectations, um, you know, you got an increase of 0.6% contributing to over two thirds of the monthly items. Guess what? what, what that increase was from shelter. Um, there was some arguments about whether or not there was like an uh, a, like sort of a a statistical anomaly from um, owner sort of implied rent, but we'll see. I think food increased by zero point four, so that's a big one. Um, and in general, the one I really like to look at is something called the U.S. Bloomberg CPI Core Services Less 
housing called Supercore. Say that again. It's a good name. It's called uh, sorry, Core Services Less Housing. So it strips say the out- super. Say the super <laughs> part. That's what Steve wanted. Supercore. <laughs> Supercore. Supercore. But the, so the, that's the, replacing the, just the regular core. Yeah, yeah, for, <laughs> the goalposts keep moving at all times. But the real the real issue is you're trying to measure central tendency and you're trying to figure out what's going on with the underlying price levels um, for you know multitude maybe I don't know hundred or whatever however many. CPI items are in your in your consumer basket, and it it rose to it rose actually quite dramatically. I would say it rose to four point three. Sorry, four point two nine. Yeah, um, and it bottomed in October. So again, never <laughs> take a victory lap on one data point. Christina Freeland. <laughs> um, um, so you know, I'm not like who knows what's going to happen over the next six months or so, but it is quite dramatic um again people who have been critical of the housing component that's why i mentioned the services x core why do we mention services because they're usually stickier they're not related to sort of the global trade you know uh, movements back and forth they're less associated with the china deflation story because they export lots of goods that americans buy services are much more linked to labor markets um, et cetera. And so by doing this, by using the super core, <laughs> thank you, boys, um, you really sort of get a feel for that. And that's why I think the market reacted in the way it did. Keith, I don't know what if you want to add something to it. I think it's outstanding because you have to, to consider what happened with the Americans this week and line it up with what's happening up here in Canada, same with the Japanese and the Brits and then the Germans and, and so forth. And this is really developing into this, um, you know, one of those cocktails that just, you know, explodes. And uh, so we'll talk about that a little bit, you know, as we go here. But the biggest thing with the inflation data, so after after it came out, you know, it basically, you know, you, you don't need to get lost in, in the numbers, but all the numbers were stronger than what the market was expecting. Um and so because of that, it implies that the Federal Reserve in the U.S. will not be cutting rates uh, either as much or as soon as what the markets were expecting or, or hoping. And because of that, you know, in general, when rates are cut, that's deemed to be that that's you know great for markets. The markets go higher and the dollar goes lower. So on, on this day, on Tuesday, when it came out, um, you know, everything got mullered. On Tuesday, except for the U.S. dollar, you know that that was pretty strong. Um, our portfolios were, were actually hedged against the interest rates. That we were actually up for the day, and uh, but it it is setting up this moment where the American economy, along with monetary policy, it it's it's going down this path where the Fed will be unable to cut rates as soon as everyone wanted. And more importantly, remember we talked about this election wall coming up on, on the Fed on the Fed cycle. Um, now we're increasingly getting closer and closer to that. So just to sort of reset here, you know, with, with the uh, with the Federal Reserve, as of today, uh, up to the November meeting, the market's pricing in seventy five basis points in cuts. So we'll go from about you know five and a quarter down to four and a half. The first cut. Right now, it's it could occur most likely right now in June, most likely July. But for June, July, and then the September meeting, that's when markets are saying, "Yeah, we could." That's when all the cuts will take place. 
Because remember, after the September meeting, it's unlikely a central bank is going to make changes with monetary policy going into the big U.S. Uh, you know, cluster F, what do you, what do you want to call it this fall, Rich? It's, it's coming up. <laughs> it's it's going to be a gong show. Yeah. But yeah. And if you go back to December, remember, like in November, December, markets were going the exact opposite of what they are now. But back then, you know, the expectation was, was that, you know, the central banks around the world will be cutting by anywhere from 100 to 150 basis points. So half of that's been backed out right now. And this this has a lot of markets nervous and things are moving a bit wacky. Steve, I know earlier, you know, you you before we, uh, you know, when Rich when Rich's mom yelled at him, um, <laughs> you you were talking about the change in I think it was the five year and the ten year yield. What was that? Why don't you just share with everyone yeah, what, yeah, what you were seeing been, there? Obviously, uh, the guy here with lots of leverage has been watching uh, bond yields. And so, uh, yeah, I've been keeping a close eye on that. The U.S. 10-year, which is what everyone's kind of following over in the U.S., of course, you know, if you're in Canadian housing, you're watching the Canada 5-year bond yield. But, of course, they're all moving very, very similarly. So the U.S. 10-year, for example, um, you know, after that CPI print came out, jumped about 15 base, 16 basis points on the day, Um since then, which we'll get into, it's actually given back up. And there are 10 basis points here today. Um, so the volatility, like we're, we're having these 10 basis point moves in in these bond markets on, on seemingly a daily basis at this point. Um, so highly unusual. I don't know, Keith, how sustainable this is. I mean, that's just a lot of volatility for people to be living in. I think we're going to see volatility across all markets. It's not just, it's going to be one of these things, you know, volatility always exists. When people say, hey, it's really volatility stage of the stock market, you know, uh, that always happens. But Steve, you're, you're absolutely correct. Usually the volatility is not in the bond market, like in, in the bond world. And it's absolutely there today. And if anyone is into FX, volatility i encourage you to check that out and uh so fx volatility it's it's coiled. foreign exchange for those that are yeah foreign exchange yeah, absolutely it, it's been coiled you know it's just waiting just uh you know just to launch you know higher uh and when it launches higher it means that usually the you know the side opposite of the u.s dollar is coming off but that's true for you know against u.s dollar with euro cad and and sterling and everything and it just goes to show you know with, you know, people have portfolios and you need to be positioned for risk. And risk is always going to be around. And when the probability of it occurring is, you know, extremely low, then that's what you want. But when it, it continues to go higher, and it's hard to quantify it, but you have to be prepared for it. And prepared for it doesn't mean, yeah, you're willing to bear it. You know, there are things you can do to withstand it. So, I mean, losses in the stock market world, you know what? It's it's always going to happen, right? That's there. The losses in the rate world that doesn't happen very often, except over the last three years. You know, it has been pretty <laughs> aggressive, yeah. And uh, but that's what people need need to see, Steve. So with rates moving, you know, that high on a daily and weekly basis, you know, it, it pushes a lot of people offside. Yeah. Something we watch every day here. Like today is a good a good day for the bond market, right? The bond market is is flying pretty high here today. Yeah, well, but, we'll get uh, into that, but I think like it just kind of brings I, home. 
Go ahead, Rich. You got some questions. No, just one, just one really quick point on the inflation thing. So just because we sort of mentioned what happened a couple of weeks ago, we or a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month ago, we mentioned that this is a risk that I don't think was being priced in, meaning that the rate cuts, everybody's quite sanguine on inflation outlook. And we highlighted, you know, maybe that's something that might happen. It proved that it was true. So good for us, I guess. But the, the, the more point is why it might actually continue, I think, is is worth just articulating very, very quickly. And it's because the U.S., you know, um, is doing better than I think people expected, certainly better than I expected. Um, and we're seeing pressures sort of build up. And how do you how do you identify some of those pressures for either the stronger demand pull inflation or supply push inflation? Um and you can see, so my favorite, the ISM um, diffusion index, that's starting to show that manufacturing output is actually sort of surging. I mean, there's no other way to say it. The new orders for the ISM, member institution, uh, Institute for Supply Management out of Arizona, sort of calculates what's going on in the manufacturing sector. There's the prices paid component of that, which is starting to, which bottomed again in the middle of the summer or late summer, I should say, and that's starting to rise. You see gasoline prices. That's I know that that's part of the headline figure. We were discussing the core figure, but nevertheless, that that sort of um, that gasoline number is starting to rise. We're seeing pressures from, um, you know, from what's going on in the Middle East affect, you know, the cost of transporting goods. So there's those kinds of pressures. So I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if we over the next couple of months, again, not to pull a, a Finman on us, but I, I think we're gonna we're gonna see more of this, which is which to Keith's point is gonna really rile the bond market and and cause some trouble. So it's it's worthwhile, I think, having that in the back of your mind. Yeah, well, I think that brings an interesting point, right? I mean, you know, yeah, the U.S. is holding up a lot better. It's like if we were sitting here, you know, two years ago, filming the Looney Hour, and like, you know, hey, the Fed, the Fed's gonna raise rates five hundred basis points, and the stock market will be at all time highs. Like it just somehow, some way, like nothing has really broken yet. You know, 500 basis points later, I don't think there's anyone that would have logically concluded that, Hey, you know what? Housing like us housing, for example, like would, would be pretty much relatively unscathed and the S and P would be at all time highs and we'd be 500 basis points higher on the, on the fed funds. Yeah. Here we are. Yeah, but the bond market has broken in some Absolutely. ways in that, you know, the industry will always tell you the bond market is the safest place. That's where smartest, <laughs> the smart people, yeah, right? the little old ladies that play bingo, you know, <laughs> and that's where they should put their money all the time. But, you know, they, they lost about almost 25% over two years in, in a bit of going from zero to five. It's, you know, it, it has other stuff happening. So but the other thing right now, though, what's really interesting, you know, everyone, you know, we went from zero to five, you know, just to be general with, with rates. And then the expectation was that immediately we'd go from five down to three again. And that's what was, you know, that loose narrative at the end of the year. And now this morning, uh, SockGen, they've, you know, more of these are coming out, but they're, the title of their piece is saying a, a rate hike may be the Fed's next move if <laughs> growth picks up. So that's that's you know that that's going to destroy a lot of uh, you know linear thinking minds here. Just to touch on that, that's a good point. Um, so from the February Bank of America Global Fund Managers Survey, which was released a few days ago, ninety percent still expect the central bank to cut rates. Seventy-seven percent of them expect inflation to fall. 
So the consensus is still, it's a unanimous consensus that, you know, we're getting cuts this year and inflation is going to continue to fall or will start falling once again. Um, and so, you know, it's interesting to note, Rich, that CPI inflation, you know, of course, it peaked in June of 2022 at 9% uh, on a year-over-year basis. And then headline CPI, as of right now, bottomed at 3% in June of 2023. So that was seven months ago. And we're still kind of talking about, well, it's going to happen the last mile, it's sticky. It's going to take a bit more time. And it's, it's been seven months. Um, well, so. that's, well, that's why I think it's important to just contextual. I know we have to move on, but like, I think it's just important to contextualize that, that these numbers, which is improving um, CPI, the stock market's okay. Bond market got screwed. I get all that, but, but it's, it's the debt and the U S is improving. It's we, the thing we got wrong, excuse me, I should say I really got wrong was I was not expecting Sleepy Joe to run an 8.4% budget deficit when you're at full employment. And I think a lot of people miss, and I say, I say a lot of people to cover my own ass really for screwing this up, but I didn't realize the degree to which that would goose a market like it's it, and throw the economy. I mean, just that kind of spending at a time when you're at full employment is really basically unheard of. I'll try to dig up the chart and we'll share it on on the YouTube, but you'll see normally you get that kind of deficit spending when unemployment is rate, uh, unemployment rate is high as a counter cyclical sort of shock absorber. And this time it was the total opposite. Unemployment rate was really low and they ma started spending massively, which is inflationary, which is supportive of risk assets. And that's something I totally whiffed on, to be honest. And and we're seeing, I think, the, the effects of it now. Somewhat similar to our fearless leader here up north. Um, <laughs> but that also brings then, us, I think. Oh, let's just touch on that a bit, a bit further, though, Steve, because with the Americans, you know, they're going to continue to run big deficits this year. And it, it's quite likely, it, it's you know, regardless of who wins the American election, Guaranteed. they'll still continue to run enormous deficits the year after. And if if the uh, Republican candidate, if if they win, they'll likely have rate cuts as well. So this could be this like blast off. The orange you know, guy. Top coming up, the orange guy. Uh, but what's interesting though, and we're talking about the American economy, everything's on fire, you know, it's, you know, Good way, I guess, if you want to think it next. Why don't we next jump over to the yeah. economies that are not really on fire? They're not lighting Rich, it up. Rich, your uh, your old home there. We got the you know some troubles brewing in the UK. Uh, we've got some issues in in uh, Germany with their wacky energy policies and <laughs> and Japan. Uh, we had some update on Japan. So why don't you kind of walk us through some of that? Well, the UK, let me just bring it up. UK, I'm actually surprised about British the accent, of... British accent, please. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> no, I can't do it. I just can't. I wish I could. I'm not drunk enough. I'm not drunk enough to do this. <laughs> uh, but the, the UK, I'm actually really surprised because um, I'll just see. I mean, basically every number is down, which is, is bad. So monthly GDP fell less than expected. Again, monthly GDPs are always weird because it's it's tough to... To do that, but nevertheless, that's the number out of for December. It was negative 0.1. So I think that's two quarters consecutively of negative GDP growth. So that's I think technically a recession. Um, you got a decline in construction output, you got a decline in private consumption, government spending fell, but fixed capital formation. So investment was up, 
business investment was up, industrial production is up, and services, um, although the GDP component was down, it have the, the PMIs have been really ripping. So to be honest with you, I'm quite confused about what's going on there. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I, I don't, that's it. Sorry. I really, I don't get it. Officially and officially technically in a recession. Yeah, that's right. But, but I just reiterate like the, the, the PMI. So the UK is dominated by the service sector. Uh, they gave, they gave up manufacturing, uh, many, many, many years ago for better or for worse, who knows, but, um, they have really high value added, very unique service sector in the UK. You can think of financial services um, you know, consulting, accounting, you know, um, what's it called? The big, um, uh, what's it called trading outfits. They have enormous, enormous structural positive trade balance. Yes, they're two, services. they're two great banks. You know, you have <laughs> RBS and HSBC. No, no, come on. It's more than that. But anyways, but all, all this to say is that the numbers are the numbers and they're in recession. So it's it, it really kind of an interesting, frankly, I don't really get what's going on there. So the irony here, of course, you know, the, the Brits are, you know, their economy is highly focused on services. Yep. you know, and, and consumer spending and, and stuff. And, you know, they, they're clearly, it's clearly struggling. You know, that's what's happening. I think 23, uh, 2023 in total was the weakest year of expansion since 2009, I think it is, right? Uh, meanwhile, over in China, you know, they would love to have a service consumer spending dominated economy. Yeah. It's sort of the opposite, right? It's, it's like the 180 really of, of the Brits. And, uh, you know, they're, they're struggling as well. But the key feature with, with all of these is that all the economies, they require increasingly more borrowing, more debt, more leveraging to produce the exact same number of GDP or economic output. And when you have rates, you know, going higher, whether it's the short end of the curve or long end, or credit spreads move or your currency moves, no, it, it, it's, it is creating this moment where, you know, you remember in school, you had the, uh, I'm, I'm going to forget the name of the model, but you, you come up with the optimal amount of debt that a, uh, a corporate entity should have to be the most efficient. What was that called? Do you Cap guys remember? M. Cap, Cap M, M model. Oh my God. I can't believe capital asset, capital allocation pricing model. Wow. Good for me. Can't believe I remember no, that. No, it's not that one. Yeah, of course it is. But it's, <laughs> but the point is that I think we've reached, you know, we've gone beyond, you know, that access, you know, so where the teeter totter can move, you know, really well. And that's what's happening with, with the Brits. Germany, you know, their economy is, is struggling because of the energy side of it as well. You know, the old stuff they export, it's not wanted anymore around the world, or you're not allowed to buy it and say it that way. So, you know, you have the Germans are in recession. Now the Brits are going into recession and slowing. China is slowing. Canada, we're still okay. You know, I know the per capita. Yeah, per capita GDP base for Canada, it's okay. You know, we can, I'm sorry, GDP per capita, it's not very good. But on the aggregate size, it's, it is okay. And Japan is, you know, rolling over. What, what were their numbers this week, Steve? I remember you told us earlier as well. Yeah, it came in uh, last night here before we started recording, but uh, GDP felt annualized uh, 0.4% uh, in the fourth quarter, and that was following a 3.3 slump in the previous quarter. So again, two consecutive quarters of contraction. Our, uh, Japan is technically in a recession, uh, and that was unexpected. Um, it definitely was not the consensus view, and Japan is still... A market, Keith, that 
is expected to hike rates this year. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's what's priced in. So I guess we'll see. Well, but... you know what? Like the fourth quarter slump, it kind of reminds me of the Super Bowl. So we won't we won't talk about that. But the um again, the view with the Japanese was that you know they were going to start to hike rates. You know, that that's where they were going. And now all of a sudden, you know, inflation's a bit softer than expected. The economy is weak again, of course. I guess we're, we're in this moment now where, the you know, it's going to be, hey, you know, the Americans have to pull everyone out of it or the American economy will sort of roll over as well. But the biggest uh, move here, you know, is, is, is this divergent, this opportunity for rates to diverge. So they're moving apart. So the Yanks are no longer going to be cutting rates and other places, especially the ECB, you know, things are pretty soft. You know, they could start cutting rates. And that's when the currency game, you know, starts getting wacky. And then we're at 2018 all over again. Keith, I have a question for you. In the, in the past, you've mentioned that like the world is synchronized. You said risk is synchronized. Um, does this change your perspective slightly, given what we know about U.S. deficit spending and the strength of the economy there, and given what we know about Europe, Germany's ritual suicide? Uh, Japan doing what it's doing, China's sort of real uh, debt deflation, etc. Does that change your view slightly on on risk being synchronized or monetary policy being synchronized, etc.? It, it makes it even um, more accentuated if, if you think about it, because it's it's if, for the Americans to be stronger than everyone else, and everyone else is weaker. It implies that uh, again, the dollar will strengthen because of difference in interest rate policies and the need for dollars. Because when your economy is declining elsewhere, you know, the Canadians or Europeans, whatever, everyone needs US dollars and they get their dollars you from trade. And so if there's less global trade taking place, there's less dollars coming in. Um, so this creates the opportunity that, you know, there is a financial accident with a greater probability than before. I guess that's the best way to, to put it. What everyone would want would be the hope for the whole world to slow down at the same time. But if you have a world that's slowing and the Americans are still strong, like that, that's the one that creates, in our in our opinion, the best opportunities to either make a bunch of money or you know to lose your shirt. You don't want to yeah. lose your shirt, Rich, not in your mom's house. <laughs> I mean, that's so. a, it's interesting, right? I mean, you've got uh, yeah, these, this U.S. economy that remains resilient uh and then you've got these mild recessions in the uk japan germany large large parts of europe uh china i'd argue canada's arguably in a mild recession or, or at least has been more recently and uh here we are still still uh still pushing higher i don't know how What's much next? that changes how does that change your does that does that change your view at all in terms of moving forward with some of these inflation numbers rich for example i mean i i know I, I, I don't think so i think the inflation numbers are in the u.s i think are going to keep going higher for the reasons i cited which is you know things like gasoline i think that the labor market remember the last print was like 330 with really positive revisions you've got some decent numbers and wage growth still going don't get me wrong i see I don't want people to see I'm just a booster for the U.S. I mean, there's a lot like delinquency rates are up. There's still problems with the commercial real estate market. There's loads of unrealized losses on bank balance sheets. Uh, earnings really, you know, people say earnings have been great. That's true for some sectors. In aggregate, they've been relatively flat. And most of the 
you know, the climb to 5,000 and all-time highs is really just a function of the expansion of your PE. So there, there's, I think it's just, but I, you know, I wonder how, and this is, I guess this is the million dollar question. How long can the U.S. really support global growth? Well, maybe they've already done it. I mean, you're starting to see the bottoms in Euro area PMIs have actually come through, believe it or not. Um, again, I cited the UK service sector, despite the fact that's in the recession, is actually doing okay. China is starting to goose their economy again. I think they're going to revert back to the old ways where they just borrow and spend and support sort of unprofitable businesses. But if that's true, lots of the emerging markets that depend on those those that economy are going to maybe do better. So I it, we're in a really weird little spot here. I think that that's I think sort of both outcomes are increasingly probable, which is to Keith's point. The volatility gets crazy, and you need to you need to protect yourself. I think, but I think yeah. I think Rich is in an odd spot trying to see the good. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's my job I... right to, to articulate. It's my job to articulate sort of the two sides of it. Um, and and sometimes I'm really clear on where I think things are going to go, and sometimes I'm less clear. I mean, it's a good point because you know, with with us, you know, and again, this is this is us. It's not, you know, it's not right or wrong. You know, we always say that the industry is always, they're looking for a return. Where's the best return? How can we get a better return? Whereas, you know, we look at it in terms of say, okay, where are the risks? If you focus on the risk part first, and then, you know, you're, you, you're comfortable with how you're protected from that, then you will get your return by default. And, you know, it, it just happened to look around now. and we, we think that the probability of risk accelerating it's, it's it's a lot higher than it normally is, right? And risk is yeah. always going to be out there. You, know, you can't eliminate it completely. But, you know, we have a lot of things taking place. We have the Russian election coming up now in, in a few weeks, I believe. Um, you know, we got the American one, of course, coming up in, in the fall. I wouldn't be the least bit surprised to see, you know, one of these you know, unexpected non-monetary events, you know, to occur. And then, you know, then you really have your tinfoil head on, Steve. You have that wrapped around your your whole body. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's just a good conversation around, you know, risk and assumptions. I think like here in Canada, right, I think the assumption, I definitely think there's a cohort of people that are coming into this year. We're like, oh, rate cuts, you know, lower mortgage rates. That's going to save me and my renewal or I should, you know, I'm going to go buy a house because, you know, Rates are going to get slashed. The Bank of Canada is going to cut rates, uh, you know, six times this year or whatever. And, 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 and again, I think, is there a possibility? Are people prepared potentially for a situation where by the end of this calendar year, like you still have mortgage rates with a five in front of them? I mean, I think that's a possibility. I'm not saying it's necessarily the base case, but I Has just that think conversation changed over the last week? Where the expectations I don't the think so. No, I think in the general public, right? I think you have to consider that, like the, the average homeowner or home buyer that's out there in the market is not. Unfortunately, most of them aren't listening to the Looney Hour, and so I think the depth of let's say knowledge, but the depth of following like markets and expect, you know, it's just it's reading news article headlines, right? It's, Hey, I heard, you know, I heard from my uncle that they might be cutting rates this year. And so I'd so, like to put my, Oh, sorry. Yeah. I just, I just, yeah, I think that's an interesting risk, right? I mean, like we, we've talked about on the show before, which is like all these, you know, developments and developers, right. That are 
highly leveraged, highly levered entities that, um, you know, are still sitting here with these really high rates and, and it doesn't look like you're going to have a huge relief, uh, in the very near future on rates. Even if you do get 50 basis points at a TIFF. <laughs> I just so want to say that I'm in the camp that uh, I'm going to put myself squarely in the camp, but I think that that's, you know, I think that that's what Canadians should sort of get used to, um, two, uh, which is the higher mortgages for, for much longer. And there's two reasons. One, I really don't think the inflation impulse in Canada, much like the US, but for wildly different reasons, is over. And then two, I think it's something that you mentioned, Steve, many, many months ago, which was the spreads or was it Keith? I can't remember. You guys sort of look the same and meld together sometimes. But the point about the spreads sort of blowing up, which is even if TIFF gives us a rate cut or two or whatever, or the mortgage rates, sorry, the bond market comes down, the five-year Canadian government bond market, that yield comes down. It's not clear that the banks will, will hand that over. or even And if the nominal mortgage rate on the website is lower, it's not clear that they're going to want to lend to you at that favorable rate anyways they might constrict their borrowing if that makes sense yeah i mean the, no, it's, well, the yeah. situation for that to happen you know it's a happy one it's yeah. that you know growth stays positive it doesn't have to be surging but it, it it stays okay and inflation data comes down and you know that will help to bring rates down and as long as there's no recession banks will feel comfortable lending and you know so maybe i mean that that's I think that's what would be very well received by the Canadian marketplace. People looking to renew the mortgage, roll it over. Maybe people looking to buy something or not have to sell something. Um, and I don't know what the probability would be of that because it implies it. Yeah, you you get this soft landing, and that is still the base case by the from the Bank of Canada, mm -hmm. and and that's what you know. That's what we'll need here as an economy to avoid you know some of those. You know, hello, darkness, my old friend. You know, we, we don't want that to come back. But that's how it can happen. The other alternative is that, just think about, say, the Bank of Canada, they do cut rates by 125 basis points very dramatically, like within, you know, four meetings. Um, and, and as we said before, you know, that ain't good because that implies there's, there's something, you know, really um, concerning, you know, with your economy, and banking system. So you don't want that. You just want this gradual, you know, slowdown. Yeah, still about 55-ish percent of the mortgage float or of Canadians that have a mortgage um, are still, have not experienced a mortgage payment uh, increase. So lots of mortgages still coming up for renewal here. 2024 is a fairly large year for mortgage renewals and 2025 is even larger. So if you're coming up for renewal, you probably want to, tune into the loony hour and keep monitoring the, you know, what's happening in global markets uh, that are ultimately influencing our local bond yields and, and vis-a-vis -vis fixed rate mortgages. So there you go. Um, in other news, as we kind of get closer to wrapping this up, I know we wanted to touch on it briefly, but uh, we did have some update on the arrive scam uh, update app mm -hmm. thing. I think the Looney Hour, man, like we we started the show. Oh God, how many? It's been a couple of years now, I think. Um, but I remember we kind of started it during the pandemic and we were, you know, talking a little bit about some of the restrictions and the arrive can and how ridiculous some of it was. And 
I feel like this has got to be another W on the chalkboard for the Lumiar. But don't you share what's happened over the last yeah, so arrived, hours. The, yeah, the arrived Canada app. There's been these investigations by the Auditor General um that's saying, hey, you know, it was originally supposed to cost eighty thousand dollars. It ballooned to fifty-four million, and now the auditor general is now saying the true cost appears like it could be sixty million dollars, but it could be more because she's saying that the paper trail is so bad and there's just there was just no there was no tracking of expenses. So they, they think it was sixty million dollars. Um, but again, they don't even have that great of records. And so there's this investigation that's ongoing. There's a company called GC strategies who can't really explain what they do for a living. They've got less than, uh, five employees. They got $20 million and they didn't even actually do any developing. They just sort of subbed out all the work. Uh, and it turns out that company has been paid $250 million in government contracts, since uh, Trudeau came into power in 2015. And so they're saying, well, how does this company with less than five employees snag $250 million of... of and see, uh, where, where are you contract? quoting that from so our listeners will know? Oh, I mean, yeah, it's, this is across any major mainstream media platform. So this is certainly not a, a tinfoil hat conspiracy. This is right out there and the auditor general's involved. Apparently now the RCMP is 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 starting to look into this. Um so there you go. Arrive can mess, you know, 60 million 60 million I mean I, I think the 60 million dollars of tax are tax dollars, right? Everyone here that listens to the show is paying taxes. 60 million dollars of it went into an app that what do we get out of it? I get a climate rebate every month. Now. <laughs> the Canada carbon rebate. You're not being anywhere near mean enough for some reason. Maybe it's because you're about to go on holiday or something. The Auditor General, who is a longstanding employee of the Canadian government called Karen Hogan, said that they repeatedly failed to follow good management practices in the contracting development and implementation of the ArriveCan. This is probably the first example that I've seen of such glaring disregard for some of the most basic and fundamental policies and rules, Hogan told the House Public Accounts Committee on Monday. That is crazy. I mean, this I, this is, a, I imagine, a, a technocrat, quite a demure lady, and and she's an auditor. So to lay that, that is laying the smack down. If you're, I know maybe people who listen don't usually talk to accountants. It's, it's also not, called losing your losing your shit. That's the same the, thing, right? The, yeah, yeah the, this accountants are not normally demonstrative. They don't use strong language. They often hedge their bets for legal reasons, professional reasons, and all kinds of shit like that. To Articulate what she said in those words is like equivalent of a suplex off the third rope. I mean, this is she's basically saying without saying it that people should go to jail. And I'm yeah, sorry, Steve, but you're nowhere near mean enough on this one. It was crazy. I just find it interesting. Keith, you and I run businesses. I mean, imagine you and I are, you know, investing in R&D. And, uh, you know, we think this new website or new app is going to be 80,000 and the bill comes out to 60 million, but you're not really sure where the money went. 
you know, like you'd be, you'd be bankrupt pretty fast. But uh, of course, you know, the, 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 the government pot never ceases to run dry. And uh, like this, I mean, this story now has been playing it out for a while. And, you know, I'm going to be shocked if, you know, usually the way this, the, the path that this will go is, you know, uh, to put in the street language, someone's going to get thrown under the bus eventually. And I'm just amazed it hasn't happened yet. Like everyone is still protecting themselves. So uh, I think we'll get a conclusion to this pretty soon. And uh, But if it doesn't, this is just fodder for the other side. It's I, I mean, gift we also... that keeps on giving. Like it's, it's let's just say, see, like this is enrich you as well. It's it's a pretty, it's a great example of unconstrained public spending and and follow through, and it, it's it's amazing because so many Canadians are struggling these days with so many things. And don't forget what the app was. Okay, let, let's let's not forget that it's not just a little you know computer program as you know, an old guy would would call it. Uh, th this thing was was really designed, you know, to, you know, to track people during the pandemic. You know, it it is what it was. That's what they were trying to do, and you know, well, there's that it, story. There's that story that was those two programmers, those two kids. I think they were university students or something. They were as young. A joke, as a joke, they recreated the app over over a weekend over pizza and beers, and uh. Anyways, it, it yeah, is what it is. I think it's well. Yeah. The but no, it, it, is, it speaks to, but it speaks to, it speaks to like an, an overall, there are two things. Sorry, sorry, Steve. It speaks to two things. One is that there is just a lack of professionalism that's going on that I think is systemic. I think that I didn't say that. That's what Je Auditor General Karen Hogan said. And, and two, I think that it, it just, again, it reiterates what I think we've articulated many, many, many times. Canada is a very easy place to commit white-collar crime, financial white-collar crime. And I think that there should be, whoever is the next prime minister, should really make a concerted effort to sort of fight that. Because it really it hurts people's ability to purchase housing. It affects inflation. It affects the confidence that people should have in their government and their policymakers to make the right decisions about infrastructure spending, which I'm a big fan of. And it's frustrating for lots of people who pay taxes and work really hard that this kind of bananas can happen and no one goes to prison. Because I can guarantee you in America, you're going to jail if you do this stuff. They have, for all the mistakes that American, all the, for all the foibles America has, you commit this kind of fraud, it'll take a while. It may, the FBI might be moved slowly, but you will spend time in a federal penitentiary. And there's many, many examples of it. And in Canada, that just doesn't seem to happen, which is for me very frustrating. 60 mil. Now we can't afford new roads. <laughs> All right. That's a good place to wrap it up. As always, guys, appreciate the support. Uh, if you've enjoyed this episode, if you get any value out of it, uh, leave us a review, you know, Spotify, Apple. Uh, we always appreciate that. It helps boost us in the little algorithms there. And uh, as always, we'll see you next week.